Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Workplace MVP. Workplace MVP is brought to you by R3 Continuum, a global leader in workplace behavioral health and security solutions. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gassman. Hi, everyone. Your host, Jamie Gassman here, and welcome to this episode of Workplace MVP. Making decisions on how flexible and accommodating a workplace is willing to be within with remote or hybrid work is not a new decision that is exclusive to the COVID-19 pandemic. What the pandemic has done is made that decision even easier or more complex for organizations. Easier in that they discovered over the last year that their workforce can remain productive and thrive in a remote work environment which is something that may have been an underlying concern pre-COVID. And for others, they may be looking at organizationally leadership wanting something different than what their employees are wanting. And how do you strike the balance? How can you approach, how can you approach this decision strategically and with the best interests of everyone involved? Is there really a balance here? And how can you obtain that? And with us today to share their expertise and ed- Educated thoughts on the return to office opportunities and challenges are SHRM 2021 presenters and workplace MVPs, Cynthia Maloda, Director of Workplace Strategy of Ware Malcolm, and Kate Lister, President of Global Workplace Analytics. Welcome to the show, Cynthia and Kate. Great to be here. Thanks. So we're going to start out with our first workplace MVP, Cynthia Maloda. Director of Workplace Strategy of Where Malcolm. Hi, Cynthia. Hey, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So let's start out with you walking us through your career journey. Well, um, I studied undergraduate um, in interior design in, in Cincinnati. And really the first half of my career, I spent in corporate office planning and design. But after graduate school, my focus really shifted to strategy and change. Um, I worked as a global strategy for a strategist for a financial services firm. And now at Where Malcolm, I lead the strategy and change practice where we're really helping our clients navigate what's best for their people and for the business. And luckily, those two things generally align. Great. And so can you share a little bit with our listeners, you know, about Where Macomb and what they're known for? Well, well, we're Malcolm is an architecture and design firm with 800 people, and we have some 20 offices around North America. Our interiors practice specializes in workplace, which is the arena I'm in, as well as healthcare, science, and tech and retail. And our architecture team is known for their industrial and their cold storage building types. Great. And so in your opinion, looking at this last year with the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's impacted workplaces, why is it an important time now for workplaces to be exploring new ways of working? Well, I'm not the first to say that COVID has accelerated, what is really already underway for the past decade. Many, many pre-COVID studies indicated that people wanted the choice and flexibility to work from home, even if only on occasion. Um, the fact that business really carried on without much disruption during this global lockdown was really the litmus test that executive leadership needed. Um, COVID prime that pump for change and really an acknowledgement that many knowledge workers, many knowledge work jobs could be really accomplished, you know, outside of the office. So we're really encouraging our clients to keep this momentum of change going and really explore what's next specific to their organization. And, you know, 
So in, in looking at your clients and kind of the recommendations, what should they be considering as they explore these new ways of working? Well, we start, let's start by saying, let's not underestimate the power of choice, not only for where to work, but when to work. More and more, we're seeing our clients are setting up uh, something called the core hours of operation, where you have to be um, available between certain times of the day, but then they allow flexibility outside of those core hours. We're really working also on the equitability of the experience in and out of the office, uh, fighting things like presence bias or gender inequality. Women want to work from home 50% more than men, no surprise. Yet we know that out of sight can be damaging to career advancements. So we're asking and working with our clients to examine their culture to not penalize or stigmatize remote workers. We're also looking at planning for teams to be in the office, not just individuals, thinking about what's the setting for people to do their best work. It might not always be in the office, but when it is in the office, we want to make sure that the workplace is really a destination. It's memorable because right now the office is competing with all those amenities and conveniences of home and in your home neighborhood. Well, and a lot of workers are almost demanding that that opportunity to have that choice. So it really is putting kind of employers under a little bit of pressure to to make a decision and really almost make a decision in favor of those employees to some degree. So when you you know when you talk about the employee experience, um, you mentioned that it's important. Can you talk us through what makes that so important? You know, what is it? Uh, And what should employers really be thinking about when they're looking at that employee experience? We like to take the the broad view of an employee experience and really it's essentially how people think and feel about their work journey, their interaction with their organization. It's no surprise, people cost 10 times more than real estate. So how can companies provide the best employee experience for their really, their most important asset? In many studies, Gallup has made the notion of engagement famous, but Other aspects of employee um, experience include authenticity, optimism, purpose, and meaning. We know the younger generations are super interested in that. Social connections and belonging. Um, Employee experience is going to be especially important because of this uh, phrase they're calling the great resignation. You know, Microsoft's 2021 Work Friend Index uh, indicated that about 40% of the global workforce is considering leaving their employees. So, Employers need to look at employees as individuals with different likes, different needs, preferences, and really gather insights and turn that into action. It's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution. So what are some approaches that they can do to gain those insights? I mean, I know obviously they can take a survey, but are there other ways that they can engage that employee in you know, establishing transparency so they feel comfortable sharing with their employer their preferences. Right. And of course, there's lots of ambiguity and uncertainty going on right now. So the sands of employee sentiment are continuing to shift. Um, But if we fall back on that old adage, you know, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Let's just go out and collect some data and just start building a database. So you're right. It's everything from employee surveys to badge data. Who's really coming into the office? Um, all manners of interviews and focus groups. Um, it's really been a bit more challenging gathering some of that data from the home workforce. Um, uh, uh, but mobile tools are one ways that we're that we're uh, one way that we're using. People might answer questions using their phone, or they may take some photographs. But um, in any of these data gathering techniques, we're really careful to set expectations with the stakeholders. Right? You got to ask the right questions. You don't ask what you want, but you ask what you need to do your job. 
And I guess the most important thing is to be sure that you're reporting back. There's nothing more damaging to a change initiative than taking a survey and then never hearing anything about the results. And the last thing I'd like to say that we're doing lots of pilots with clients to help them road test what some of these recommendations are. And, and this level of transparency has really helped answer that question, how is this going to impact me? Right? An employee in these pilots, employee, employees have a firsthand uh, ability to have some skin in the game by proactively commenting. And so that's been a super uh, positive way. Yeah. If you want to influence the change, you got to speak up, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So in looking at new ways of working, you know, you, you mentioned this on a previous call that, you know, there's been some environmental impacts as a result of more people staying at home. Um, you know, what, what are some of the things that you're seeing um, good or bad from that? Well, Sure. Well, the obvious positive environmental impact is that we're driving less, right? You, you don't need a study to understand that. Um, and obviously, we're reducing greenhouse gas emissions and the consumption of fossil fuels. In 2020, the offset for the reduction of the greenhouse gas emissions translated into planting 91 million trees just for that year, right? So it's pretty formidable. But we're also printing less to the tune of 247 trillion sheets of paper, less paper printed in 2020. Or you can just look at your procurement records for all the paper plates and the napkins and the plastic silverware that you didn't get, that didn't get during COVID, right? And all that stuff never found its way to a landfill. So that's all good. Um, as for energy consumption, right? When you're at home, you automatically turn off the bathroom light. But when you're at the office, most of the time, right, you can't do that. There's been a really nice uh, study done by Sun Microsystems found that the energy consumption was nearly twice as high at the office as compared to at home. So, you know, not surprisingly, buildings account for 40% of CO2 emissions. And so the fewer buildings that we have, the less emissions that we have, and certainly the fewer buildings that we're building and occupying. So, so from an environmental standpoint, um, hybrid work is all good. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, from comparing the environmental to looking at the workplace experience to looking at just, you know, that great, great resignation and how do you find ways to keep the employees, you know, engaged in at your work site, employers need to be looking at more than just productivity levels and, and getting things done. They need to be looking at a bigger picture, correct? Absolutely. I mean, all of those are just pieces to a, a larger puzzle. And um, if you, and you really have to look at what makes sense for your organization, what makes sense for your employees, you know, don't, um, don't get roped into the benchmarking where, well, you know, other companies and organizations are doing this or that. What makes sense for you, not what makes sense for someone else? Yeah, absolutely. Great feedback um, and, and advice there. Um, so now we're going to just shift gears to our next workplace MVP, Kate Lister, president of Global Workplace Analytics. Welcome, Kate. It's great to be here. And boy, Cynthia, great job. You, you said everything I would have said. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, great minds think alike, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So Kate, talk us through your background and your career journey. Sure. Um, well, I started out as a banker and I think that that really shaped how I look at the world, or maybe that's why I became a banker to begin with, you know, nature and nurture. Uh, but it also gave me the language of the C-suite, the language of talking to executives in terms uh, I've run a number of businesses. I wrote three boring business books. 
um, and kind of stumbled into this business almost two decades ago uh, after writing the, the last book. It was a consumer title on remote work. And when I'd first gone to John Wiley and Sons and proposed a, a title on remote work, I wanted it to be a business title. Uh, and they said, no, we don't think that'll be of any interest to anybody. <laughs> But it was in doing the research for that book that I realized that nobody had made the business case to the C-suite for remote work. And the more I looked at it, it wasn't just about remote work. The, the, really, HR and corporate real estate weren't talking to the C-suite in terms that they understood. Um, they needed a way to quantify what what the expenditures on things like remote work or flexibility or health and wellness, what did that, what would that really do for the company and what would it do for the the bottom line? You know, <laughs> what's in it for me? <laughs> yeah, great. So, and global workplace analytics, what type of um, services do you provide to them? Well, things have shifted a bit in the last two years. <laughs> As I said, I, I've been working in uh, the, pushing that remote work rock uphill for about 20 years. Uh, and it really has been a lot of that. And then in the last two years, it's kind of been chasing me down the other side. Uh, so working with uh, large companies, uh, 3,000 employees and over uh, to, well, from the beginning of the pandemic, you know, just surviving, figuring out what technologies we need, figuring out how are we going to do this, um, kind of triage almost through the last year of of just making work work. And then in 2021 here, more about, okay, now that we've done this, now that we've learned some lessons, what are we going to take forward? How are we going to operate going forward? Um, what what have we learned? Uh, what's worked? What hasn't worked? How do we get the best of both? And you know, then bring them into the office or or not. Uh, you know, who do we want to return to the office? Uh, when are we going to do it? And that's kind of like the the very right now question. Last week it was vaccinations, but then the president answered that one. So <laughs> this week it's return to office. Most of my clients had set a return to office date of January, and then uh, that got moved out to uh, September, and that got moved out to July, and then that got moved out to September and then October, and now most of them are really in the throes of deciding whether or not that's going to move to uh, beginning of next year. Wow. Yeah. Constant changes over this last year, for sure. <laughs> Navigating that. So, you know, and talking about your clients, you know, what, you know, from your perspective is keeping them up at night these days, if you will. Yeah. As I said, it's kind of a moving target, um, but really a lot of them, as, as Cynthia said, have, have now gotten over the question of, will my people be working? You know, can, can they be productive? Can, can we continue to be profitable? Um, and this has been historically the way it's worked. Once a manager has had the opportunity to work remotely themselves, then they're much more accepting to it. So we've gotten over one really big hurdle for the most part. <laughs> it's still out there. We're still making the business case, um, but it's it's become a whole lot easier. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, I guess, keeping them up at night, they're thinking about all that empty real estate. They're thinking about those big buildings that they've been paying for for the last year and a half, almost two years, and practically nobody's in them. 
so what are we going to do about that going forward? Yeah, I suppose. Have any of your clients made decisions on that? I've been thinking the same question with, you know, thinking of some of the skyscrapers in my area and going, oh my goodness, they've got to be sitting empty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All have decided that they're going to go to some form of hybrid, uh, that it's going to be much more extensive use of remote work going forward. But they're taking their time on the decision about getting real estate, getting rid of real estate. I mean, unless there's, you know, a lease coming up this year that, that they have to make a decision on. They, they understand that what people say and what they do is often very different. What people say they want and what they actually do is often very different. So while 80% of the workforce now says they want to work from home uh, at least one day a week, are they going to really? Um, the ones that say they are going to come into the office, the 20% that say they, they, they want to be all in the office or at least largely in the office. Are they going to come in the office? Uh, how are teams going to collaborate? Uh, how, how are we going to uh, deal with some of the hybrid issues that uh, Cynthia talked about? Uh, so really taking kind of a wait and see attitude about, do we need to, can we get rid of, excuse me, can we get rid of real estate? Um, should we get rid of real estate? Do we need to uh, restructure our real estate? Most are, are realizing that, you know, home is going to be the place for focus work and office is going to be the place for collaborative work and for uh, community and for socializing. But that's not the way offices were built. Offices were built with primarily, you know, I'd say probably in the 70, 30, 80, 20, the, the high number for, uh, heads down work, uh, and then the other for social. So that, that pendulum may swing and that may mean that we need to reconstruct those office spaces. A lot of, uh, uh my clients also are looking at the potential to go to hoteling, uh, where employees don't have an assigned seat at the office. Uh, they reserve a space on their iPhone or, or, uh, on their desktop. Uh, when they come in or there are drop-in spaces when they come in. These, as Cynthia said, these were all trends that were happening before the pandemic, but now there's this acceleration. Um, some of my companies even sent all of their employees' stuff home last year. I mean, just cleared out the offices, got rid of it with the intent of perhaps moving to this uh, hoteling approach. Interesting. So in terms of like how they would prepare for that, you know, and thinking, I mean, obviously they keep, you know, number of your clients you mentioned are extending their return to office date. You know, what are some of the things that might be happening in the background in terms of preparing for that date? Cause I know it's, it's probably feeling like a moving target, but eventually it's going to stick and it's going to be one that they now it's implementing that return to office. So how do they get ready for that? It's kind of been just, it's been a bit of a breather for me, <laughs> thinking that we might actually get to, to wait until the uh, the beginning of next year, because we have just been rushing through the change process when, when companies, really, I mean, I've got one client that accelerated a program that probably we, we would have done prior to the pandemic, would, probably would have rolled out over six uh, six months to a year, maybe even more, and we had to accelerate it into eight weeks. Um. So it, it, you know, it was a bit of a crunch and everybody's kind of in that bit of a panic to, to, to meet that next deadline. One of the things that I think has really uh, been maybe a silver lining is that has lofted this whole conversation about people and place to the C-suite. Uh, 
uh, before the pandemic, it, companies were either do, allowing remote work kind of on an ad hoc basis. You know, we'll let Jamie do it. We'll, we'll let Cynthia do it, but but not really in any formal way. And the either that or they were, were deploying it tactically um, kind of as a solution to the problem du jour. So if, if the problem was trying to uh, reduce your costs, then real estate handled it and then they were running the show. If it was about uh, attracting and retaining talent, then that went through HR and they were running the show, but they didn't really talk to each other. And now that we've got the C-suite involved and they're saying, no, we see this not tactically. We see this as a new way, as a new strategy for working in the future. All of those functional areas are coming together. So one of the things that, that you know, we do as soon as we get into a, a, an organization is to form that cross-functional team that, that includes uh, HR, IT, real estate, but also marketing, sustainability, risk management, finance. They all have to be at the table. Uh, everybody has a stake in this. And it's only when they're talking together are we going to get the, the sort of optimal solutions. So... As Cynthia said, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at the cross, uh, cross functional teams at uh, leadership readiness. So we're doing interviews with the, the leaders and seeing where they sit. Uh, you know, how, how open are they? How ready are they? Uh, because if the leaders don't buy in and we've known this for decades, it's just not going to happen. I mean, they, they, they even, they, they can't just talk the talk even. They've got to walk the walk. They've got to live the, the vision. Uh, for the employees, we, we are typically deploying a, a company wide survey and, and getting higher participation than companies have ever seen in their employee surveys, because this is something that they are really passionate about. I mean, we've been getting as high as 90% participation in surveys. In one company, they actually did a contest to see which group uh, would get the highest, and they, they were going to get an extra day off, which was cool. <laughs> if a great they, incentive. Yeah, exactly. If this group won. <laughs> And they came in with 100%. They got 100% of their people to participate. Uh, then we go in and we actually get talking to the people. We sit them down in focus groups. We ask them, what's working? What isn't working? Uh, what training do you need? What training does your manager need? Uh, do you want to come back? How often do you want to come back? Uh, so that we have a kind of a read on the whole organization. And, and, and with that, we, we recommend a strategy, uh, and put together policies and put together change management and communications to keep employees informed and involve them in decisions to be part of the decisions. Um, and, uh, you know, going forward, then looking at how will they actually use the space? Uh, and, you know, that'll be, that'll be the next step. Interesting. Yeah. I've heard, I've spoken to other, um, you know, business leaders and there is definitely power in involving those employees into some of that decision-making, you know, you get sure. almost like instant buy-in if you will. It's being done with you, not, not yep. at you. Yeah. And, yeah. I, unfortunately, most organizations don't share the findings of their surveys with the employees. And that's, that's terribly frustrating. Uh, another thing that I'm seeing companies do that is just a huge mistake is failure to communicate. At first, for the first six months, they were doing town halls. They were doing, you know, weekly, uh, 
conversations with the CEO. They were really on it, but that's kind of gone by the wayside in 2021 for the most part. And it, it's really showing. You mm-hmm. just can't leave that ambiguity out there of, am I going to come back? When am I going to come back? Am I, are you going to force me into the office? Uh, and it's not until the, the CEOs start seeing the people leave. You know, because they don't, if they can jump to something where they know they're going to have the flexibility they want, uh, when they have an answer, then they're going to do that. I mean, even if, if CEOs don't have the answer, it's just critical that they say, Hey, look, we don't have the answer, but these are the things that we're looking at. And, and here's, you know, here's what, here's, here's how we're trying to make those decisions, you know, bear with us. Yeah. Interesting. So in looking at, you know, hybrid versus remote. You had indicated previously in a, in a conversation we had earlier that hybrid is is harder than remote. Can you talk to me through what makes it that much more harder? Sure. Um, the I guess let's take meetings as an example. It, 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 we're all these same squares on the screen. You know, it's become very egalitarian. Uh, it's even become more uh, empathetic because you're seeing the the CEO in kind of their home setting with their dog on their lap or their kids running through the background or whatever. And it's kind of brought us together on an even playing field. Now we go to hybrid and we've got 10 people sitting in a conference room and 10 people or three people that uh, are not there. The uh, I'll actually give you an example. I was just wrapping up a uh, an engagement with a 65,000 person manufacturing company. And we'd gone all through those things that I talked to you about, about the change management training and all that. And I was presenting to the board of directors what our findings were, you know, kind of closing out the the, uh, engagement. And the 12 of them were in the conference room and I was not. And at the end of the meeting, I said, okay, I think we should rate this meeting. Everybody gets to rate this meeting, but I go first. I'm going to give it a three. And here's why. You were all in the room. You all could all see each other, but none of you had your laptops open, so I couldn't see you. I couldn't see your faces. I couldn't see how you were responding to what I was saying. I mean, I was talking for 40 minutes. Um, the You only had one screen in the conference room, and all you could see were my slides. So you couldn't see my face. You know, you couldn't couldn't see me gesticulating. You couldn't see when I wanted to say something. In fact, there was a question that was asked that I uh, had an answer to, and I couldn't I couldn't get a word in edgewise. I wound up texting the CEO or the uh, chairman (laughs) and say, "Hey, you know, I'd like to answer that question." And then he brought me into the conversation. Um. You all took a break for five minutes and you turned off the sound. I got excluded there. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it, it was just an altogether bad experience for me. And it, it, the room went a little silent for a minute. <laughs> and then one of the directors said, you know what? Didn't we just go through a consulting engagement that told us how to have better hybrid meetings? And I, you know, I think we talked about all these things and we all had a good laugh about it. But I mean, it just demonstrates how intentional it has to be. This is not something that comes naturally. You, you, inclusiveness, including the people that are not in the room, and that's just in meetings. The bigger issue goes to, am I going to be uh, passed over for promotion if I'm a remote worker or if I'm a possible uh, remote worker? And uh, am I going to get the same uh, salary uh, 
uh, or compensation? Uh, am I going to get the same projects if I don't walk down the hall and, and see that, you know, Jamie, see Jamie and say, Jamie's, oh, you're just the person I need to see. Mm-hmm. So all of those things uh, make it very difficult to be hybrid. Uh, you know, we were doing it before, sure. I mean, people were working outside the office, were global uh, uh, organizations, were talking across the world, but not to this extent. And so we just have to be very, very intentional when we go back uh, of of keeping that in mind, that we all are, you know, one organization and we need to treat one another as such. Yeah, interesting. And some of those things that you described in that meeting happened pre-COVID. But it wasn't on like, to your point, the scale of the number of individuals that we would be working through that. Now it's you're on mute, unmute your, (laughs) and it happens at least two or three people in a call, you know, every day, right? (laughs) You know, donuts, we don't get any donuts here at home. You've got that wonderful plate of donuts in the middle of the table. (laughs) I want a donut. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? You're like, really? Oh, I'll go heat up my, you know. My lunch meal while you guys eat, you know, the nice fresh stuff that just came in, Um, you know, and if you had, so, you know, speaking of like, you know, talking to that C-suite and some of the CEOs and chairmen, you know, I've seen in some articles where there's some that are just really, you know, hard set on their people are going to come back into the office. This is going to be the model, but then we've got this, you know, this, you know, the people though are speaking and saying, that's not what we want. You know, how, how do you, how do you talk to that CEO? How do you convince them to have more of this open mindset into either a hybrid or a remote working environment? Well, my natural instinct is to just slap him. (laughs) (laughs) But I can't do that because I I wouldn't get very good reviews. So, uh, I go back to the business case. It's got to be, you know, what's in it for them. Uh, typically, there's two things that the the that person's worried about. Um, it's a control thing. You know, they they want to feel like they have some control over the organization. I I picture the the supervisor standing on the balcony, looking down over uh, his minions, <laughs> all mm. working on the factory mm. floor, and we still sort of have that mindset. Uh, even after almost two years of doing that. So it's kind of getting to those fears. What is it that this person is afraid of? Uh, another thing that I've seen, and and there's been some very public cases of this, the CEO the, the, just lives in their own world. They, they, in fact, believe that everybody wants to come back. They believe that everybody is like them. And it's not until you show them the numbers. I won't mention the name, but a very large company uh, CEO came out and said, no, this I, we're all going back to work. This is just the worst thing, this remote work thing. We're all going back to work. I happened to have the person, uh, head of HR, on a podcast that I was doing the next day. And before we got on, I said, am I allowed to ask you about this? Because you know, here you are talking about workplace flexibility, but your your CEO just said, no way. And she said, yeah, well, uh, we had a bit of a conversation about that. <laughs> and, and truly, he did not realize. He thought everybody was like him and wanted to be back in the office. And when they showed him the surveys, you know, he, he was just blown away. He had no idea. So sometimes it's really just you know, bringing them back to reality. Um, and 
you know, if they don't and, and showing them the, what's to, what there is to lose and, and what there is to lose is good people. And what that means is a real hit to their bottom line. And that's, that's the language of the C-suite. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And a lot of them probably don't because they may be not as in the thick of the day to day as much or kind of in those details to see, you know, what some of those people are, uh, some of the people in their organization are actually feeling and thinking at that time, you know, and looking at, you know, we talk a a lot about, you know, the productivity and the inclusiveness and engagement. Let's talk a little bit about innovation in the remote work environment. Do you feel from your opinion that being in a remote or hybrid setting will impact or hurt um, innovation? I try not to speak from opinion. I speak from research. Uh, And the research just does not prove that face-to-face improves innovation, has any impact on innovation. The New York Times it was just maybe two or three weeks ago, had a a large article that says there is no proof. (laughs) And I've been saying that for years, but now the New York Times said it. So that's great. Um, It's there's two parts to innovation. First is creativity. And the second is is innovation. So the creative concept, people are most creative when they're uh, in private, you know, think about when you're at your most creative in the shower, in the car, when you're walking in the woods, um, and so e- even in all of the, the, uh, surveys that we're doing, people are saying that they're more creative working at home. Innovation, uh, often, you know, that means taking that creative thought. It's often done in groups. So there's, there's two parts to it, but not necessarily. There are a lot of, of lone inventors and it doesn't necessarily mean uh, face-to-face uh, uh, interaction with groups. Uh, innovation is really founded in trust. It's, it's do you trust the people that you're working with enough to throw out a crazy idea and not feel like you're, you're going to be told that's a crazy idea? Uh, that's that's what's really fundamentally needed with a team. And once they've got that trust, once they have that trust bond, uh, uh, they can do it remotely just as easy as they can in person. Great. So we're going to take a word from our sponsor. Workplace MVP is sponsored by R3 Continuum. R3 Continuum is a global leader in providing expert, reliable, responsive, and tailored behavioral health crisis and security solutions to promote workplace well-being and performance in the face of an ever-changing and often unpredictable world. Learn more about how R3 Continuum can tailor a solution for your organization's unique challenges by visiting www.r3c.com today. So now I'm going to bring Cynthia back into the conversation and I have some questions for the two of you. Um, Starting out with, as workplaces move to making decisions on their new work approach, how can they make the business case from a financial perspective that supports their decision? And so let's start with you, Cynthia. Can you talk us through kind of your thoughts on that? Well, I'm going to start with a couple no-brainers that are really easy to start. And then we'll let Kate talk about some of the great financial measurement tools that she offers. But I'm sure you've been a part of many conversations about work-from-home stipends. And as employees are really sort of settling in for the long run on this home office gig, um, they're looking to upgrade. No one wants to be sitting at the dining room table anymore. 
there's been lots of lots of studies about all the the success that people are having depending on where they're working. So clearly, we need to upgrade well where where we're where we're sitting at home. So um, we we like to talk about the idea of monitors and a good ergonomic chair at home. That's sort of the low hanging fruit that a lot of these work from home stipends talk about. So if you just take a break-even approach regarding providing dual monitors, assuming each one costs a hundred bucks, they have a three-year lifespan. If the monitor saves someone 95 minutes a year, which translates into 23 seconds a day, it's worth the investment. So um, we really are advising our clients. And I know at the beginning of the pandemic, many people brought their monitors home from the office. And now some of those monitors are being recalled. Folks are asking them to bring them back. But we're advising our clients just to allow folks to have monitors at home. The second thing um, is the idea of a chair. So if you look at, um, you put it in the context of a workman's comp, but an average workman's comp claim is $28,000. So if you assume a chair is $500, it has a five-year life, you could purchase 1,400 chairs if you avoided one workman's comp claim. Like the math is definitely there. So when we also, I think there's also sort of a sustainable circularity thing, right? We don't want people buying chairs, you know, the $100 chairs from the office supply store, which are just going to break and go into the landfill. We want to get higher quality, uh, good products so that it, 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 it withstands the best. So um, employers to do to provide some significant um, or, or insignificant work from home stipends, I think, really are going to help the planet as well as their workforce. But Kate, I'm going to let you talk about some of the financial tool measurement tools that that you guys are doing with clients. Yeah, this is where we really got started. Uh, emerging the, the banker in me came out trying to figure out what the bottom line impact of uh, of remote work is and. Uh, about 12 years ago, maybe more, we came up with a, a remote work savings calculator. We called it a telework savings calculator at the time uh, that shows a typical employer can save about $11,000 per half-time remote worker per year. Uh, and that is a combination of increased productivity, reduced turnover, reduced absenteeism, um, and reduced real estate costs, uh, also a continuity of operations, being able to uh, operate in the event of a disaster. And we, in our standard model, we only included one day a year, like one snow day a year, that people would be able to work. You know, other <laughs> if if they weren't able to get to the office. Never did we consider putting in uh, seven hundred and <laughs> whatever days. <laughs> um, just imagine what global dent on global productivity if we hadn't been able to make this transition. And that calculator, uh, about six years ago, the federal government came to me and they were uh, responding to a inquiry from Congress who wanted to who t- wanted to justify the amount of money that the government was saving in their telework program. Uh, and they were uh, asked to find tools that could help them do that. So I, uh, they asked and I gave them a peek behind the curtain of, of what's behind the calculator. Uh, we've got 125 variables and 600 uh, calculations. And they went back to Congress and, and said that it was comprehensive and thoroughly researched. <laughs> so that was a, that was a very good endorsement for us. It's available free on our website, has been for, um, 
as I say, more than a decade. So companies can uh, quantify their own uh, impact, not just on the um, employer, but on the employee who typically saves uh, 11 days a year in half time uh, remote work, uh, the time they would have otherwise spent commuting, uh, and typically saves between three and $5,000. And it also calculates the environmental impact, uh, as we talked about earlier. Interesting, and and you know, and you think of the ergonomics. I can I can give a personal testament. I was sitting at my kitchen table, and I'm a runner, and I started to have really weird leg cramps. And I switched to my ergonomically, you know, I brought my chair from my office. I actually rolled it out the elevator and took it home, and the leg cramp stopped. So there is definitely something behind having an appropriate chair when you're sitting for the amount of time that we sit, um, for work. So it's really interesting to hear, you know, some of the financial, you know, savings that these organizations can have just by simply these easy modifications. They can help those um, employees at home, especially now that it's become a lot more of a long-term, um, solution as opposed to the short-term solution that it was probably back in March of last year for a lot of these organizations. And I know we'll put that link to um, Kate's uh, financial tool um, on our um, on our page, um, on the Business Radio X page, as well as on the Workplace MVP page so that you guys, so our listeners can access that. So looking at the benefits to hybrid remote work and back office you know, what are your thoughts around the benefits of each of those that employers should be considering? It's funny for years, the, the conversation has been polar people, particularly in the media, it's, it's, you know, Oh, remote work, it's going to ruin the world. And Oh, nobody likes the office. It, it, it's, it's just, it's both. There, there is the, One's good for one thing, one's good for another thing. So the best of both is to allow people the the flexibility to work at home some of the time if they want to. And there's about 15 to 20% of the population that typically does not want to. Um, and to come to the office for the kinds of things that uh, are better done in person. One of the things we learned from a number of the surveys during the pandemic was that people felt they could collaborate just as easily, uh, just, just the same uh, in uh, remotely as they did in the office, but they preferred doing it in the office. So, you know, we can get it done. We can, we can have our meetings, but we would really prefer to be in person. Um, so it's, it's really just taking the best of both. Great. How about from your perspective, Cynthia? I think our clients are understanding this as a unique opportunity to embrace hybrid um, you're right. We'll talk a little bit more. We have talked about the uh, difference between the C-suite's perspective and the average employee's perspective, but um, we are encouraging, and I would say by and large, they are they understand that they're at they're at a unique time right now, and and they're moving forward. Interesting. Um, so, as an organization, has you know, if they have differences to what you just kind of alluded to, Cynthia, you know, that work environment preference between senior leadership, you know, and what they're looking for versus what you're what the employees are looking for, you know, how can they approach it and find a balance between both sides that you know really benefits the entire organization? So, we'll start with you, Cynthia. Yeah. Well, I guess. 
I'd like to pick up on something that Kate said. Let's 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 go back to the data, right? Perhaps some executives uh, have a command and control thing going on. Perhaps they're in their walnut row and they don't see it. But we've done a few executive listening sessions, which are a really great start, right? It's almost um, and that has sort of opened the eyes. Um, as we've said before, and I think every HR person, you know, on the planet now is, is telling their C-suite, 40% of the workforce is considering changing jobs. And at the cost of between one and three times your salary to replace every position, depending on the nature of the job, employees are really emboldened. They have the upper hand to have their voice being heard. And I think that, um, I think most of the C-suite is, is getting it. So I don't know, Kate, if you want to add anything to my perspective. Yeah, I mean, it, it also opens the opportunity for a whole new uh, uh, talent pool. You know, I've, I've got a, a law firm that I'm working with right now, and finding top law talent is really difficult. Uh, the law firms are poaching one another like crazy. Uh, but now they don't have to limit themselves to somebody that's near their San Francisco office or their Philadelphia office or whatever it is. They can hire somebody from all over the world. Um, they can also hire a, a, a better opportunity to hire the disabled uh, military spouses, people living in rural areas that uh, you know, didn't always have the opportunity to, for these kinds of jobs. So it really does not not only stop people from leaving but uh, uh, opens up the the talent pool so much more. Yeah. Did you more that you wanted to add to that? Nope, I'm good. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, that's kind of, I, I, in a previous episode, we were talking about that, you know, how, you know, really there are no boundaries anymore to where you can obtain your employees when you have that remote work environment. So it really does open up you know, the, the prospects of different candidates that they could have across, you know, not just the U S but really the globe. And, you know, and I love the point you made about, you know, military spouses and others that maybe wouldn't have had that flexibility before now being able to give that opportunity, um, to have a, have a career themselves where previously they maybe wouldn't have been able to. So that's a great, great point to make on that. So I'm sorry. I also typically show them a spreadsheet of what their competitors are doing. Uh, A little little peer pressure never hurts. And not just their direct competitors, you know, so that if I'm talking to a uh, insurance company, I'm not just showing them other uh, what other insurance companies are doing, but what tech companies are doing, because the people that they're trying to hire these days are getting, you know, have to be more and more tech savvy and jobs are getting more and more tech oriented. So they're not just competing with the guy across the street and uh, they're competing with Silicon Valley and and some of those other places too. Yeah. Very interesting. I bet that's a very effective approach to show kind of that kind of data. (laughs) So looking at our listeners, what can they do today? You know, what are some simple approaches that can make a difference um, with their workforce and with the organization? Uh, For me, the word sludge comes to mind. (laughs) Get rid of the sludge. There's so many things that we do that keep us from doing our best work, not the least of which is doing stuff that we're not good at or that we don't like. 
you know, I'm waiting for the day when I'm doing a PowerPoint presentation and my keyboard starts to jiggle and it says, you know, you're not very good at this. <laughs> Did you know we have 10 contractors that are already vetted that are better at doing this than you are? And by the way, did you know that Joe, you know, over in the other department just did a presentation on this? Maybe you should talk to Joe. <laughs> that's not something they can do immediately, but it is something that's coming, uh, kind of the disaggregation of work so that we can all work on what we're best at. But just the little things, the, 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 the meetings and uh, how, how stressful meetings are and how much of the day they occupy, start to think about, do, do, does everybody really need to be here at this meeting? Does it have to be a meeting at all? Uh, I've got uh, one executive said, if, if there's more than nine people in a meeting, it shouldn't be a meeting. It should be something that I record and they can listen to. One of the things that all remote companies, you know, companies that are all remote <laughs> uh, get right is using asynchronous versus synchronous behaviors. And this is something that you know, the companies that Cynthia and I are working with are just learning. So you don't always have to have a meeting. Maybe you just need to send a memo. Uh, maybe you only need a few people in that meeting and uh, you can record it and other people can listen at another time. Maybe they, they're in a different time zone. They don't have to get up at four in the morning to be a part of this meeting. When to use chat, when to use email, when to use Slack, um, and when, you know, how to make, use those tools so that we're more efficient in how we work. Um, looking at, this is also a time for looking at every process and every practice. I think one of the, the stressors out there right now is that we're, we're trying to work in new ways using old processes, practices, and technologies. And it just drives me batty when I hear somebody say we need to replicate the water cooler. It's like, who said the water cooler was that great to begin with? First of all, it excludes everybody who's not at the water cooler. So, you know, we need to use technologies to, to do things better, not to replicate things that were broken to begin with. Like, People always talk about, oh, it's been really hard onboarding during the uh, pandemic. Excuse me, 60% of people quit in the first two years and half of them quit in the first six months. So let's not say that onboarding was working that great before <laughs> the pandemic. Let's find out, a, let's figure out a better way uh, to to do things. And, and, you know, even for just some very, very simple uh, uh, tips, when you're having a hybrid meeting, everybody has to have their cameras on. Uh assign somebody in the room to somebody that's out of the room, kind of a buddy system so that they can chat back and forth. Uh, if, if one person feels like they aren't being heard, call on every person, um, use, uh, polls, uh, instead of, you know, hands up and that kind of thing. One of the things that we've learned during the pandemic is that introverts are performing better. Uh, I'm an introvert and it, you know, I don't, I don't think as quickly as extroverts. You know, when I'm in a meeting, you know, people are blurting out their their thoughts and and their answers to questions. I I, I take time. I I need. I think about it after we get off the meeting, uh, and and that means that we're not hearing a lot of voices. And I think there are opportunities uh, that we can exploit in what we've learned over the last couple of years that can really bring uh, more. Um, equality to the voices in the room and, and make sure that everybody's heard. Great. That's great feedback. I love that. Cynthia, how about you? I guess I would go, I, I would go back to the employee experience and I would go at it from two perspectives. 
One is the stakeholders. I know many, um, many of our clients are engaging their stakeholders, but it seems like many that you read are not. Leadership has made some plan and they're going to send a bunch of memos and say, this is how we're going to do it. So for sure, it's more complicated. For sure, it's fraught with more complexities. But um, the more we have stakeholders involved, the better that's going to help the bigger change, whatever it ends up being. Um, so that's um, the first thing. And then I guess the second thing is don't stop collecting data, right? Don't stop, um, you know, even once, you know, uh, in, in my world, uh, we do something called the post-occupancy evaluation, right? Which is like, you did it like three months after people moved in and then you close that off and then you're done with it. Um, really, we're seeing continuously, um, continuously uh, collected data, um, whether it be pulse uh, study, uh, pulse surveys. Now, uh, technologically, there's a tremendous amount of data, everything from badge data to utilization data. And I know we're not doing that much because we're not in the office much, but once we're back, I think data informing decisions is going to be the future of what's happening. And I think we can't, again, have that data without communicating to our stakeholders what it is that we're learning and how that's going to potentially impact and let them have a seat at the table. So um, that that's where, that's where I'd like to leave it. Fantastic. Great, great advice and, and um, thoughts to leave our audience with. So if any of our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, and I'll start with Cynthia, how can they do that? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. So uh, search me on LinkedIn. My email's on there and my company is Where Malcolm. If you uh, go to the Where Malcolm website, you can get my phone number and my uh, email that way too. And how about you, Kate? I'm there on LinkedIn as well. Uh, I'd be happy to link in uh, with anyone. Uh, uh, You can message me. You can also uh, email me at kate at globalworkplaceanalytics.com. And uh, we have uh, probably a dozen white papers on our website uh, that say things more elegantly than (laughs) I do in person. So you could just download them there. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for letting us celebrate you. I'm sure your your presentation at SHRM went really well and was well received. Um, and thank you for sharing your stories and your great advice uh, with our listeners. And we appreciate you and we're sure that your organization and your staff do as well. So thank you so much for being a part of our show. We also... Yeah. Thank you. We also want to thank our show sponsor, R3 Continuum, for supporting the Workplace MVP podcast. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you've not already done so, make sure to subscribe so that you get our most recent episodes and other resources. You can also follow our show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Workplace MVP. And if you are a Workplace MVP or know someone who is, please let us know. Uh, Email us at info at workplace-mvp.com. Thank you all for joining us and have a great rest of your day.